Ding dongs, welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast normally about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the other line, her 23andMe test also shows a lot of turquoise. It's my sister, Marissa. I'm the whitest kind of Jew. Yes, I mean, like, that was just, I mean, we're not 97% like, like Megan is, but we're, you know. The half of me that is, is 97%. Yes. <laughs> 60% of the time, it works every time. Yes. <laughs> so while The Good Place is on hiatus, we are looking at other shows related to The Good Place. We've done this for the past few weeks, although we were off for Memorial Day. When we're starting with a theme, and this is our last, I believe, of the theme. Uh-huh. Amramica the Beautiful, which is, uh, wa- we're watching other shows that Meg and Amram has written for. And so we talked about Kroll Show, we talked about Parks and Rec, and now we are talking about Megan's latest series, which is uh, called An Emmy for Megan, which, you know, is kind of self-explanatory. <laughs> this one, ever, no one has any excuse for not following along on this one. This is available free on Vimeo, and the combined amount of time for those six episodes is like half an hour, maybe. Yeah. It's probably less. It was like a good 20 minutes. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. So before we get started, a little bit of housekeeping up front. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and at goodplay.cast.rocks. I maybe shouldn't do this, but I I do want to say that when you're looking for a good place podcast on iTunes, (laughs) we've been scooped. We have been scooped, you guys. Uh, The actual good place has an actual podcast or did they actually start releasing they started them? doing it and their first guest is michael sure i know so oh and mark evan jackson is the host right yeah and like ted danson and darcy carton were doing promos for it so i know it's fine it's fine just stab I, me right in the heart i feel like they probably have a leg up on us a little I feel like bit, like a little, yeah, just like a little bit. But you know, if you so, just when you're looking for these episodes, I think you you tweeted this, and I agree that probably the best we could hope for is someone is looking for their <laughs> podcast and accidentally chooses ours. Right. So if that's the case, welcome to the good play. Please <laughs> stick around, listener. We don't have any celebrity guests. No, it's just the two of us. We sound very, very similar. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, yeah. but it's, it's sometimes we sing. It's fun. And uh, we got a lot of opinions over here. So please rate and review us on iTunes. <laughs> yeah, and just bump us up to be second to and it's, it's okay. official podcast. It's okay if your review is like, this is not mark evan jackson what <laughs> what happened like it's okay if that's your review but uh, we hope that once you know we we hook you in come for the podcast you think this is and stay for the podcast that it actually is and that's you can also tagline <laughs> <laughs> and you can also follow us and like us on facebook uh, at the good play we have a group our facebook is is pretty uh, fallow right now it tends to be more active when the show is airing and then people yeah. will discuss the episodes a little bit yeah but i you know but I, 
the Twitter is the Twitter is more consistently active. Yeah, so Twitter at the Good Play Pod, and you can write us an email at thegoodplaypod at gmail dot com. So you know, send in all of your questions for Michael Schur because <laughs> that's what you think this is. Now let's get into an Emmy for Megan. How do you want to like dissect this or go kind of go through it? Because you know, the last episode we did was about Curl Show. And we didn't do a lot of recapping. It was mostly just discussion, pontification. Yeah. So how do you want to sort of go about this? Uh, well, maybe we can, let, we should talk slightly about the plots of these six episodes to the sure. extent that there is a plot. Sure. Let me put my two overriding theses up front before I do this. Okay. My first is that this is as weird as those Adult Swim videos that air at like 3 a.m. Yes, that's a great connection. Like, too many cooks, too yeah. many cooks. That one, yeah. which, by the way, haunts my dreams. <laughs> well, now it's in my I've, head. I've, no, no, no. I mean, I don't, I'm not talking about the song. I, I find the Too Many Cooks video to be deeply, deeply unsettling. And, and maybe that's the point of it. But, yeah. like, I cannot watch it. I mean, I watched it the one time because everybody watched it. And then I was like, oh, there's, like, slasher murders in here. And there's, like people dying of this like it's yeah so it's it's this is not this emmy for me this is not that right but it is as weird as the adult swim videos that they put on at 3 a.m that's thing number one thing number two is that i feel like the secret theme of this series is life in los angeles and yeah, uh, that sounds. And my bizarre. reaction to life in Los Angeles is, oh God, oh God, why would anyone want to live in Los Angeles? <laughs> well, if I can put in a plug for Los Angeles, because my best friend lived there for eight years, and I loved visiting her, is I think this is particularly about life working in show business in Los Angeles. Yeah, but I mean that must apply to so such a large percentage of people who live there. And also, I don't I'm not sure that you have to be in show business exactly, right? Like the stuff in the second episode about how she has to lose weight. I I think that there is a prevailing culture in Los Angeles that's even worse than the country at large about sort of the gospel of thinness. Yeah, I I can't speak in an educated way about that because I've never actually lived there. But I don't know. They I did have some of the best pancakes in my life out there. So I I'm think not saying there's... nobody eats literally, right? Right. But... No, but I, I see what you're saying. And I, I think on top of show business in Los Angeles, it's also like women in show business in Los Angeles. Yes. Yeah. So, so with that, yeah. I will give a very short sort of recap of these six episodes. The first one... And by the way, Megan is so much cuter than I imagined her to be. She's she's adorable. Because her Twitter picture is like deliberately grotesque. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I had an image of her in my head that was sort of like the toned down version of that Twitter picture. But that's actually a complete misrepresentation of her (laughs) actual look. She's adorable. Yeah. So in the first episode, she introduces the concept of the series, which is that she wants to win this very specialized Emmy, which is best actress in a short form comedy or drama series. And she has to like post at least six episodes, no more than 15 minutes. None of them even gets close to 15 minutes No. Uh, by April 27th of this past year. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, two months ago or whatever, a month and a half ago. A, f- a friend of hers named Allison, Com- I-, I don't know. I-, I didn't recognize any of the people except when they did the, like, phone messages. Um, I recognize... Oh, and Darcy Carden, of Yeah, course. I recognized one of the women in the first episode, but I couldn't tell you where I knew her from. Okay. Well, she does say she's from Westworld, right? I don't watch Westworld. No, neither do I. This girl Allison is there, and then she and then she's not supporting Megan, so Megan has this fake crying slash drinking jag, and two of her friends show up and take her alcohol away, and that's kind of that one. That one is very strange. Yeah, <laughs> they're all very strange, but some of them are stranger than others, and that one's very strange. In the second one, her manager tells her that she needs to lose weight, so. This trainer, who's the same guy from the first episode. Yeah, her friend. Yeah, comes and makes her bench press a stationary bike and gives her and gives her uppers. And then she's like losing her mind. And then her manager calls and says the Emmy voters are looking for someone with curves. So she she sheet cakes it. (laughs) She She goes a sheet cake and she literally eats. Yeah, she takes like a page out of Tina Fey's book and just eats a sheet cake. Yeah, yeah. And the next one, diversity. Yes, I noticed this too. She has this poster from Parks and Rec, like the Pawnee, Indiana poster. Yeah. There were a couple other funny things. There, on her whiteboard, it was like Benghazi. Who did Benghazi? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. We're in her personal office at this point. Yes. Yeah. So she says the problem with her show to this point, which has been like 11 total minutes of screen time. Yeah. Is that everyone's in it? Everyone in it is white. So Ira Madison, who's a black writer, comes over and he she shows him her twenty three andme profile, which shows this tiny amount of Asian DNA, which is probably like Genghis Khan or something. That's what we say in our family, anyway. Yes. <laughs> and she says, "Now I'm going to identify as Korean American." And uh, you know, this guy says, "Well, it works for Emma Stone." And then. <laughs> And then he said, if people get mad at you online for doing this, uh, don't put throw me under the bus. This was Lena Dunham's idea. <laughs> the next episode, she doesn't do anything. She just has a bunch of super famous people. Incredibly. This is like, I want to spend like a full 20 minutes pondering how she got all these people to do this. Great question. And they're all, for some reason, they're all using por- portrait mode on their phones, which made me freaking crazy. <laughs> Just <laughs> rotate it 90 degrees. But it's a bunch of super famous people telling her that they're, she's great and she's going to win an Emmy. Uh, and you have them written down here. Yes. Alan Yang, Ted Who, Danson. I believe he won an Emmy for... Um, yes, he says he won an Emmy. But he won an Emmy for the series with Aziz Ansari. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, Master of None. None, yeah. Yeah. Ted Danson, obviously. Woo. Seth Rogen. Jimmy Kimmel. Mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson, says, everyone. <laughs> yeah, so you have his quote here. Why don't you read it? Your web series is not only better than Star Wars, it will have a bigger cultural impact than Star Wars. How did she what? get him to say this? Or did she, or was she just like, say whatever you want, and that's what he picked? I don't know. Are they friends? Is there a song? How is that possible? Just finish the list and then I'll go off about this. J.J. Yes. Abrams. Yeah. WTF, everyone. And then RuPaul. Holy shirt. Okay. So are they friends? So Alan Yang, when he does his thing, is like all these Emmy winners, like all of us Emmy winners get together. We have brunch together. It's like me and Dave Maggie Smith. And like, you know, he says a few other people and it's great. And I can't wait to like have you at brunch. 
And but like now I'm sort of wondering, is there are they all friends? Like, how did she do this? Why is my voice this high? Like, I'm just very <laughs> how did she get Ryan Johnson and JJ Abrams? Like, I to a certain degree, I get Alan Yang. I obviously get Ted Danson. You know, maybe she knew Seth Rogen from like an earlier comedy gig or something sure. like that, or Jimmy Kimmel. But like, I do the last three. I'm like, I have no context. I loved it, but I have just no context for how this is even no possible. earthly idea. No, how she pulled it off. No, no, I'm totally with you. I was like, wait, I'm sorry, that Ryan Johnson? <laughs> yeah, the the Ryan Johnson who's like. Who busy, made The Last Jedi. Who's, like, taking a break from swimming in a swimming pool full of gold coins from, his, like, now that he's... Yeah. I mean, do you think Ted Danson has connects <laughs> their with numbers? these people? Do you think he's just Ted- texting everybody on his phone, like, hey, just do this thing. And they're all like, what? Ted Danson? And they're like, okay. whatever you want. It's Ted Danson. I'll do whatever you want. Or do you think uh, Michael Schur has connects? Why would Michael Schur have any... What? Wait, did J.J. Abrams do Lost? Yeah, I didn't watch Lost, but I think so. So I know that Michael Schur talked to J.J. Damon J. Lindelof. Damon, oh yeah. Okay, But maybe <laughs> Damon Lindelof was like, <laughs> let but me then, hook you up with my boy? I, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Are we yeah, going to just play six degrees of separation between all these No, let's people? not. Let's not torture people, especially since they could just do this on IMDb themselves. But, yeah. like, it, it it boggles the mind. It does. And RuPaul was the only one to be like, girl, you thirsty. Like, it was really funny. <laughs> maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe we perceive Hollywood to be extremely striated, but maybe it's not as much as we think it is. Oh, you know what? So... What? Michael Schur knows Chris Pratt, and Chris Pratt probably knows all these people. I think texted Chris Pratt. Oh my god! If Chris Pratt is like yentaing everyone <laughs> to like get them together for this project, I would be. Would Chris right, let me, Pratt? Let me get through. The, let me get through the next. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. So the next one is, the, I think, the first one that re- really made me laugh for real. Mm-hmm. So Megan says that she took 14 years of uh, violin lessons on and off, and she decides to break out the violin to impress the Emmy voters, and she is playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, and she's trying to tune it, and she snaps a string pretty deliberately. I mean, she's really cranking (laughs) that uh, tuning key. And so then she invites over a friend who won at least two Emmys for The Daily Show and brings those Emmys with her, which is pretty funny. Yeah. And she tells the friend, I guess this friend can sing, and but then Megan decides to sing, and she says it has to be a public domain song, so she starts singing the Star Spangled Banner, and it is in a key. <laughs> she is an octave above where any sane human being would be singing this song. I'll be honest, I muted a lot of this because Did I you? physically couldn't handle it, but yes. Actually, thought it was pretty funny. So I was I was listening to it and laughing. Bananas. <laughs> it is bananas yeah, it is. and animal crackers. And uh, she, she eventually pulls a muscle while she's doing this. And then she ends up singing the Star Spangled Banner while kneeling. And then, ha ha ha, topical, she p- tells them to cut. Yeah. 
I did like you have this quote in here for, that she says. She's <laughs> and this is the one one of the things that actually made me laugh out loud. This is when she says she could go play at at uh, she could go play at Buca de Beppo, and I was <laughs> like, man, when was the last time I thought about Buca de Beppo? <laughs> I loved that place when I was a teenager. I would probably still love it if it existed anymore. <laughs> hello. What did, she, what did she say? She's like, I just walk up like, hello, sir. Here's your CD. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty good spoof. And then the last episode is the only one that kind of has like a plot, which yeah. is that it's the last one. So Darcy Carden, who is, of course, Janet, woo, comes over to her house and is very obviously from the beginning sort of very fake, cheerful Hollywood. Can I say something about Darcy Carden and, like, maybe this is creepy, and if it is, then feel free to cut it out. She's super skinny. Body be banging, okay? <laughs> what is... I was like... Because I guess I just don't... When she's Janice, she's always got sort of this... Bulky. Like, suit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, like, vests, and it's not really meant to be all that flattering. But she shows up in, like... Like jeans, jeans, but like skinny jeans and like a tucked in T-shirt. And I was like, dang, girl. Yeah, I mean, it it emphasized for me, like how tiny everybody in Hollywood is, because like she just in the good place, she just looks like normal size. But she's obviously like a zero. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was alarming. Anyway. (laughs) So. Darcy shows up and is being like very fake cheerful Hollywood like oh my god girl I love you so much and I love this web series you are doing and I just I can't wait to be part of it and I read all the scripts and I love them so much and while Megan is not looking she puts a white powder into Megan's water I guess and tells her to drink it and the crew that's filming this tells her not to and because Megan then Megan and Darcy both kind of make fun of PAs it seems like they decide not to intervene (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is, Chidi would not be amused with that one bit. No. And then she drinks it and she starts choking and dying. And Darcy goes all out in a tirade against her for thinking that she can be an actress. When, of course, Darcy is an actual actress. Yeah. And they curse each other out as Megan lies dying. And at some point, Darcy says, you know, I'll see you in the bad place. <laughs> Which like our pretty, show. Right, which is pretty great. And then Megan lies there and is dead. And then it turns into an Emmy for Darcy. And Darcy's like, that was so great. That was so crazy. Thank you for watching my web series. And then, like, the camera kind of falls to the ground. And you hear footsteps like, call the police. And that's the end. I mean, that was the part for me that I was like, this is such a too many cooks situation. You know what, you know what else it reminded me of? This is a deep cut for some of our listeners but i know you'll know what i'm talking about the yacht rock episodes that the intros would get progressively weirder and weirder yep so it's like oh hi i'm hollywood steve you've caught me like the first one is like relaxing in my music nook and then it was like oh you've caught me like the 10th episode or whatever is like you've caught me murdering a woman like it's oh yeah that one was really distasteful yeah but like it's the to me, it had the same tenor. It of also like, reminded me of uh, the end of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I don't remember the end of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It it um it collides with the present day, and it's like it's like present day police show up and are like trying to arrest like King Arthur and everybody, and that's just oh, just, that's right. That's yeah, just yeah, kind yeah. of it. Which I always 
I realize saying this makes me sound like I'm easily unsettled. And I think that that's true. I just think that like I get creeped out very easily. Yeah. And I remember being very creeped out by the end of Monty Python and the Holy Grail because I did not like that ending one bit. And this at least is funnier. And since we know Darcy Carden, if we didn't watch The Good Place, I don't think that we would appreciate this last episode in the series at all. Yeah. But since we do, it's like, oh, you know, this is funny. We know Darcy. I was actually kind of impressed by her range. I was like, oh, she could really play a psycho. Like, you know, because Janet's so cheerful. Yes. I'm like, oh, you can really go. You can go dark. You can go pretty dark. I also had that spoiled for me because I read an interview with Megan Amram about about this series and somebody asks her about her relationship with Darcy Carden like how are things going with you two and she's like oh you know since she murdered me it's been it's been a little tough and I was like oh okay so (laughs) oh that sucks yeah there were definitely some so I wrote down some of my favorite quotes because there were definitely things that made me laugh out loud oh there was a point where Darcy Carden is like taunting Megan as she's dying like oh you're trying to come up with a pun yeah and Megan's like, if you want a pun, then go to my Twitter account. And yeah. Darcy's like, nobody even reads Twitter anymore. Well, like that, that I thought was like super relevant. Yeah, she's, Megan says to her, you're going to win an Emmy for best betrayal. And then Darcy was basically like, are you trying to make a joke while you're dying? Yeah, I mean, it was cuckoo bananas, but it, like entirely self-aware, I think the whole time, right? Sure. Yeah. Some of my favorite moments... You already said the Buca de Beppo one. Yeah, we already talked great. about Ryan Johnson. But I, I did like in the in the first episode when her friends like you don't really act because the thing the thing about this uh, the the requirements was that like this is for acting and so this has to be scripted. Which like I actually do wonder how much of this was really scripted because it seems like they were improvising a lot, but I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. But. Her friend Allison is like, you don't really act. And she goes, what, is she, what does she say? Acting is just writing with your mouth. And I was like, I was like, I could see Jason on The Good Place saying that. Or Couldn't even you? Eleanor, honestly. Yes. Like, you know, we got this. Like, acting is just writing with your mouth. You know, like, I could definitely see one of the characters doing that. So I was, or saying that. So I was like. You know, I could see her, the way that her voice is kind of translating. Which I, I have to say, of, of all the Megan Amram stuff that we have seen now, so we've seen Parks and Rec and Kroll Show and obviously every episode ever made of The Good Place, the thing that this reminded me most of was Kroll Show. Yeah, because it's like kind of disjointed and has no um, point to it. <laughs> yes, like, sorry, but yes, exactly. Yeah. And was only funny in sort of fits and spurts. And also very, like, this is kind of the conversation we were having last time about, like, it's very one-person-centric, mm-hmm. one-person's point of view. Which, like, you know, so maybe as much as we didn't love Kroll Show, maybe she really liked writing for it because, you know, it might match up with her sort of natural style. Yeah, possibly. I, I, I think that when I thought of her as a writer and creative force. I think that I associated her more with the spirit of Parks and Rec and The Good Place, but I think that that spirit honestly belongs to Michael Schur. And that Megan Amram is a tool that he can... Now, that's not... I, I don't mean to take away her agency, but but in some sense, Megan Amram is a tool that Michael Schur can sort of deploy for, like, humor 
and wit and sharpness and probably a lot of weirdness, but that she's not the one who's sort of embodying like the soul of the, of these shows. I think that's a good way to, to do it, to think about it because like I did, I did definitely see moments of like, Oh, this is sort of weird or offbeat the way that something in the good place would be weird or offbeat. Or this is a moment that has like, seems really silly, but has like a touch of some kind of trenchant comedy. And that was also in Kroll show, like very sparingly, but like it was in there. Like we talked about like the Canadian healthcare system jokes and stuff. Right. But this is, you know, especially in the episodes where they're talking about her weight and they're talking about diversity in Hollywood. You oh, know. that's right. She opens the, the her conversation with her black pal with, I have two words, <laughs> inclusion writer. Yeah. And that was really, that was funny. Now, the, the funny thing about this web series, and maybe she meant it to have no lasting value, but it's like so tied in to 2018 that it's going to be incomprehensible in five years. Yeah. Well, she's she's really only interested about this year's Emmys. So. That's true. But, so I do think that, there are moments of that or like look when she says at the beginning like there's a problem with my show everybody on it is white everybody so far i've had on is white you know when michael Schur was developing the good place i mean i remember talking about this in a very very early episode of our podcast but when michael Schur was developing the good place one of the things that he said in an interview was um after you know the first couple episodes had aired was you know, we wanted to make a show that was really diverse because, you know, six white people or four white people or however many, I guess it was six counting Michael and Janet, you know, just following six white people doesn't really sound like, you know, good television to us. And so we talked a lot about that in relation to other sitcoms like Friends and like, even though I, I love the show, but How I Met Your Mother, like it's so in, in, in a sense, you can kind of see how maybe she does have some of that same ethos. It just manifests itself very oddly. <laughs> but I think you're probably right that, you know, the heart and soul of the show in the case where she's like a um, a staff writer and a producer for Michael Schur's show, he probably sets the tone and she fits into that tone. Right. Whereas when left to her own devices, she's a little bit more adult swim. It does give me a lot of appreciation of what it must be like to be a staff writer in Hollywood. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit actually off air last week or two weeks ago, but why don't you talk more about that? I mean, I, I happen to know because I listen to, I occasionally listen to a different podcast. Um, that you mean you're not listening to our podcast 24-7? Just on loop. Oh, I mean, okay. I mostly am. <laughs> uh, that it's this, like, right now is the season where all the networks are actually making their initial buys of shows. Yeah, upfronts, right? Yes, I think that's what it's called. And what this woman said, who who just sold a show to ABC, I want to say... What the, not nothing to do with Roseanne. What this woman said was that you get the call from the network saying we, you know, we're greenlighting you, and then it is a complete. And this is the word she used: feeding frenzy. I'm sure for oh, okay, we because you know whatever genre of show you are writing for, you know people who you think can write that genre of show, and it's like get Cindy on the phone, get Jose on the phone, you know, get 
whoever, this is such a person, like, see if they're available for this coming season. Like, try to get them in our writer's room. Like, lock them down. Go, 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 right? Like, PAs just running all <laughs> over the place. But, you know, in that that life, as, as someone who's writing a TV show, first of all, it must be so peripatetic. Second of all, I mean, not in the sense that you're leaving Los Angeles, but in the sense that you probably are not writing for the same show for 10 years, right? Statistically, you're probably not, unless you work on Supernatural. My boys. <laughs> My uh, boys. But then also, like, you ha- you are being brought into a group, a family of writers, and, and you're going to be under the direction of some showrunner and a network and, and producers and this, that, the other thing. And you have to slot yourself into this very specific mood and tone and set of values. And it must be incredibly difficult i mean no that like i think if you're writing a procedural like law and order like it kind of just probably is what it is right like there's no there's almost no story arcs to carry through the show you just got to come up you got to rip from the headlines you know like i don't know about that i mean like every other year some ada dies in a horrible accident so you got to think of that (laughs) but the person who writes that episode is dick wolf it's not random staff writer I just hired, you Exec- know? Executive producer, Dick Wolf. Yes. No, we know. But I'm saying, if you are the new staff writer on Law & Order, you're writing the one that's like, rip from the headlines, woman kills her nanny because her husband looked at her funny. Like, rip <laughs> from the headlines. I mean, this might also just be our bias because we believe we could write episodes of Law & Order because we have seen... <laughs> I'm... Look. So many episodes... I'm pretty sure most people could write episodes of Law and Order, and that is fine. I mean, you yes. just have to learn some legal jargon, right? Yeah. <laughs> Take the death penalty off the table. It yes. doesn't matter. It's fine. I don't want to get into it. But, like... <laughs> That's for our, our other other podcast called <laughs> I Won't Authorize a Fishing Expedition. <laughs> So I think that's probably like the low level of difficulty, let's be real. Uh, but then the high level of difficulty would be writing for something like, now I don't know how many writers they had for this, but writing for something like The Americans, yeah. or, you know, where there's this like extremely high degree of continuity or um, Breaking Bad or, you know, any of these very serious dramas where continuity and character development are preeminent. Like, it must be very, very difficult to because the showrunner has a very specific idea, but one person cannot write every episode of a, you know, of a 20 season television show. It just doesn't work that way. I had a friend who for a long time was not a writer, but worked in production. And for a good chunk of time, he worked on production for Mad Men. And he talked about how difficult that show was even from a like not you know not temperamentally difficult but how exacting the show was in terms of all of the period pieces and all of the um clothing and the what was on tv at the time if they had the tv on and what everybody's like down to every last detail it had to be very period specific so i imagine you know working on a show like that is also difficult to write for because if you're working on anything that requires like you know, historical research. You know, if you're writing for, you know, a show like Downton Abbey, or you're writing for a show like um, one of my shows that I like on AMC, Turn, like, I feel like that's, uh, that's also probably a pretty high level of difficulty, too. What are you, a grandma? What if my show's on the AMC? I like, I like Turn. It's about them. You'd like it. It's about spies in the American Revolution. 
Oh, I, I would like that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Grandma. <laughs> no, just the way you said it. One of my shows. one of my shows. <laughs> well, my my stories. One of my stories. So I mean, I just want to give Megan Amram real credit here. Yeah, of, for sure. She has done work on very different shows. She's quite young. I think she's yeah. sort of alarmingly young. Yeah. Um, she like looks like someone I conceivably could have gone to college with. Well, and she's clearly very funny and self-assured and you know doesn't necessarily take herself too seriously which i think is probably a good trait to have yeah she's uh she's like six months older than you are (sighs) guys what am i doing with my whole life situation over here Uh, well now i'm filled with existential dread (laughs) sorry That's okay. The other day I learned Ryan Coogler is 32 years old and I was like, well, I'm packing it in. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it must be, it must be difficult, but it's also interesting, I think, to see then like, because you have so many varied opportunities, like how many people you probably get to, like, if you take advantage of the opportunities that you do get, I mean, I think you probably that's how you know people like J.J. Abrams or that's how Ted Danson will like, you know, do a 30 second spot for you while he's at an airport, you know, like <laughs> on his way to beautiful Mexico yeah, to like, shoot a feature film. He's like I'm shooting a major motion picture and, you know, I've won many Emmys in my day and it's like, you know, it's pretty amazing that clearly they all like her and have some affection for her. Otherwise, why would they indulge you know this kind of a project right so i think that's pretty neat to see that it sounds like um you know from from the interviews that i've read also with michael sure like he just talks he, he just waxes uh rhapsodic yeah about megan amram he just thinks she's great so we should mention a few of the other things that she has done in her career she has written a little and produced a lot for silicon valley mm-hmm uh, she wrote some stuff for the Oscars this past year, and she she wrote the uh, 2012 MTV Movie Awards. Wow! And also the 2011 Oscars, and uh, she was on a she wrote for a uh, a show called Ant Farm, which I think is a cartoon. Uh, I don't know. Oh, and she also wrote some uh, Children's Hospital. So, so yeah, I mean, pretty, that's a pretty wide range. Yeah, yeah, pretty varied. I'm impressed, Megan Amram. Good job. Oh, okay. Ant Farm is a is a Disney Channel original. It's not a cartoon. Okay, but that's still pretty. That's pretty unreal, actually. Yeah, I mean, and it's and it's. I'm sure writing for a Disney Channel original show is very different than writing for Kroll Show. <laughs> it seems to have been like her first staff writer position. So, that's an interesting place to start your career. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Maybe all... that's how... Do you think she knows Ryan Johnson because of a Disney connection? That would That's a stretch. I don't know. I'm putting my tinfoil hat on for this one. I don't think everybody who's ever worked on a Disney Channel original gets to know the current Star Wars cast and crew. Because otherwise, we would have Xena, the... Help me out here. Warrior Princess? No. What? Who's the blonde girl who's in space? Xenon. Yes. Otherwise, we would have... Girl of the 21st century. We are dating ourselves here. Yes. We would have Xenon, 
you know, hopping around. What uh, was the guy? Canto Bite. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I would love that. Can we? Let's tweet at Ryan Johnson. Anyway, make an Amram. We appreciate you. We do. We appreciate you very much. If and you we wanna... hope you never leave the good place. Yeah. I mean, if you want I wanna... hope when you die of being poisoned by Darcy Carton, you end up in the good place. If you want to come on our show, uh, just so that we can compete with your actual parent <laughs> company podcast, <laughs> we'll ask you all the questions about an Emmy for Megan, how it feels to be an Emmy contender, you know... How it feels to how how on earth do you know Ryan Johnson and RuPaul? Yeah, that's going to be your number one question. I, I with get a the bullet feeling. and uh, question one B is going to be like, can I get them digits, please? <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of questions for Ryan Johnson. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> so June is uh, Ted Danson equals terrific dude month. Yay! And we're going to start with Cheers, I think, right? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Uh-huh. Making the way in the world today. I actually don't know many of the words to this song. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. <laughs> Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Apparently, the original opening opening verse was singing the blues when the Red Sox lose. It's a crisis in your life. I'm not making this up. This is on Wikipedia. On the run because all your girlfriends want to be your wife. What? And the laundry tickets in the wash? What does that mean? Is that some kind of like Boston mob thing I don't know about? I, I do not know. I'm glad they changed that. Are you? I think the Boston thing is great. Sometimes you want to go where Ted Danson's really young. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) This is going to be a problem for at least one of us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I I think what I want to do for Cheers is the season one two part finale. Okay. Which is a fairly classic episode where sam and diane kiss for the first time yay (laughs) okay all right well we'll see how i feel about this relationship when i'm actually exposed to it firsthand instead of just getting it through the culture via osmosis yeah um i will probably also watch the 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 series premiere so maybe we can talk about all three episodes yeah i watched the pilot a couple weeks ago so i'll rewatch that and also the end it's called showdown okay because nobody gave us a better Nobody gave us a better recommendation, and that episode is pretty famous, so I am happy doing that. Alrighty. And if we want more Sam Malone, apparently he was in an episode of Frasier. Really? Yep. <laughs> we might have to watch that, and then we can... Niles, uh, this is Cabernet Sauvignon. It's, uh, it's a full week past its peak. Well, I don't. Frasier, I don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Frasier pod, spin-off I, pod. No, I like Frasier and Isles best when they are clowns in the Simpsons universe. <laughs> Especially Lisa. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, did, did Megan Amram write for the Simpsons, or did she just have she, some Simpsons she paraphernalia? Has some, she has um, a couple of uh, small contributing producer credits. So, you know, bringing a full circle is all I mean. 
Mm -hmm. Until next time, I'm going to take pride in the fact that little girls can look at us and know that Jews can succeed too. (laughs) We will see you next time, ding-dongs. Knock, 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 knock it on heaven's door.